Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be too tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So uh, next week, we uh, will be jumping into Acts chapter 1. We will be in the book of Acts for the rest of the ministry year. Our theme uh, this ministry year is going to be a fitting theme. You ready? Here it is. One word. Transitions. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing because, you know, we're in the middle of a major transition here at church. And the book of Acts is a massive book, and it's all about it transitions between Old Covenant to now New Covenant. It's the early days of the church. Everything is changing. How God is interacting with humanity is changing. There's the giving of the Holy Spirit and how he enjoys. I mean, it's just change after change. I was reminded how common transitions are, even as we were singing that beautiful hymn from William uh, Cooper, because in the middle of it, my wife leaned over to me and said, they changed the word. It was though vile as me, as that's how we learned it and sung it as children, and uh, they have modernized it to as vile. Nothing stays the same, does it, baby? I mean, it's all, everything is just changing, transitioning. We're going to pick up on that. We're going to start that next week. But I felt the need this week because, you know, small groups in our discipleship ministry has either just started this over this past week or it's, for some of us it's starting up this week. I wanted to make sure that we just circled back around and make sure that we have the right foundations in place in our church, and that we are accomplishing what we want to accomplish within our discipleship ministry and within our small ministry. And so we come to Galatians chapter 6 this morning because uh, for us, small groups are, are not just a program. This is a way in which we experience biblical community with one another. You remember about three weeks ago, I think it was, in our, our wonderful words series that we did through the summer, I did a message on community, biblical community. This is a, a, a main value of our church. Community is us you know, being Jesus to one another, being the hands and the feet to one another, and being the hands and feet and the mouth of Jesus to those outside of our church who don't know him. And we recognize the importance of biblical community, and the normal way we experience it is within small groups, discipleship groups, maybe it's a triad of three or four people, or an intergenerational group with men and women that meet on a Tuesday night, Wednesday night, or before breakfast, whatever it may be. These groups are vitally important. The vast majority of you are, are participating in them, and some of you aren't. Some of you aren't uh, for reasons I understand. Uh, sometimes we go through seasons of life where we're exceptionally busy, and it's difficult to commit to that uh, type of ministry and that type of involvement with other people's lives. Some of you have not committed to it, and you continue to not commit to it because of your past experiences, and I, and I get that too. I, I was once in a very bad group, and man, it was, uh, I did not like it. I did that during my college years. It was years before I got back into a small group saw how it could be. And so, so I get it, uh, why you might be hesitant. And, and I'm not up here to say that through the years, we've never had a small group that didn't go off the rails. 
Uh, we've had it happen two or three times that I can think of. Uh, and just so you know, we respond to that. You know, uh, we, we get involved in that group. At least in two of those occasions I can think of, we disbanded the group. We dispersed it and reconstituted it when different leadership, different groups. It hasn't happened too often, but it can happen. I think the reason why it hasn't happened too often is we have just been blessed at our church. You know, for many, 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 many years, Jonathan, uh, congratulations being back from sabbatical, Jonathan, richly deserved. Uh, I think he's been a staff member here for like 15 years or more, I think maybe more. And this was his first sabbatical, long overdue, right? And, uh, but Jonathan ran our discipleship, our small group ministry for years. And, and in the last several years, uh, um, Brian and Andrea have done this and, and they have equipped our leaders and they have provided for our leaders a common framework, a paradigm for doing group ministry so that it's not just a, a coffee clutch or a, or a Christian social club, right? That, that paradigm, you can kind of see it within our uh, ministry pathway. Right? You remember this graphic? We've showed this from time to time. You know, our church, we are devoted and we intend to see people go from either being non-believers or nominal believers or new believers to fully mature disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen through osmosis. Okay, There has to be intentionality within the ministry for us to grow, to be restored by the gospel so that we in turn can bring gospel restoration to other people. And so this pathway kind of indicates what we engage in as members of our church. It centers on worship, right? We've been doing it this morning corporately, but it's also us becoming equipped to know how to worship in our homes or worship in our private uh, daily devotions. It's growing together in groups and discipleship groups. It's serving one another, using our spiritual gifts and our natural talents to make the body of Christ, his church, stronger and more vibrant. And then going outside the doors of our church, reaching out to others who don't know Jesus. There's a a kind of a three-dimensional focus in this, right? There's an upward focus, there's an inward focus, and there's an outward focus. Do you see that? The worship is upward. The, the growing and serving is kind of more where we're focusing on the people who are in our church and then the reaching is outward. That focus is important of our ministry pathway because what is true for us at large in our discipleship process is also true in our small groups. It's this same threefold focus that we put into and we emphasize within our small groups so that our small groups don't get off the rails, so that our small groups actually produce and help facilitate spiritual growth in the lives of our people. So in our small groups, we are training the leaders and we are pushing to see an upward, an inward, and an outward focus taking place on a regular basis. And why do we do that? Why do we go to all that trouble? Because we passionately believe that biblical community is so important to us that if we are not involved in it, and if it's not a, a healthy environment, then our spiritual maturity gets bogged down. And we have difficulty obeying the commands of God like the ones that we see in our text this morning. Our text this morning by indirect and direct references reinforces the importance of us having this upward and inward and outward focus. You see it in our passage 
And what you see in this passage is that groups, I think that groups that will embrace what this passage is encouraging as an illustration of this kind of focus. And that's what the passage does for us. It gives us an example of what it looks like outward, upward, inward within the people of God who are in community with one another. But when we embrace that vision, we all thrive. We all grow to become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me give you this by way of kind of an organizing thought this morning. What we're going to be focusing on is that groups that committed to mutual accountability and loving support quickly discover the blessings of biblical community. Groups who are committed to mutual accountability and loving support quickly discover the blessings of biblical community. Let me jump in with verse one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In his opening verse, you have an example of mutual accountability and groups that are committed to mutual accountability, and as we'll see in a moment, loving support, they end up discovering the richness, the blessings that biblical community bring. Now, mutual accountability doesn't just happen. It's not natural to us. It has to be intentional. And what we see in this passage is that it thrives in a group where the members of the group are dedicated and devoted to one another and where the group is anchored in the very word of God. One of the things I love about our church, it's a value that I so appreciate how it has taken off in our church, is our, our dedication to caring for one another. We, we, every Sunday morning, in fact, you know, we end the service with me pointing you over to an area where you can get soul care or physical and emotional help with things that you're facing, right? This is a value of our church. And I think Christ has been honored in how this value has grown in our church over the last many years. But let's realize this morning, and I think what this passage is alluding to, is that our heaviest burdens are not necessarily emotional and physical burdens. Our greatest burdens are first and foremost spiritual, not physical. And then those spiritual burdens, they end up manifesting themselves in the physical realm or the emotional realm. So for example, let's take someone who they come to group, right? Or they, or they come to me for counseling and they say, you know, I'm not sleeping at night. I can't sleep and I've got ulcers and you know, there, there's a physical something going wrong with them physically. And as you dig in a little bit and you peel back the, uh, the layers of the onion, you find out they are just racked with anxiety and worry. They're worrying all the time. And this has become even more real in the last year and a half with COVID. People filled with anxiety and it's manifesting themselves and manifesting in physical issues, right? So you have this emotional worry and anxiety, but when you go down even deeper, what you will often find is that there's just this deep fear of a situation. Maybe it's a situation, it's something where their identity is very much tied to this aspect of their life and it's being threatened. And because of that threat to their identity, it creates fear and then anxiety and then the physical manifestations. But what's the root cause problem? The root cause is they've misplaced their identity into the creation rather than the creator. 
They're finding their purpose in life in something other than Jesus Christ. And so the true burden here is the idolatry at the heart of finding some comfort or turning to something else like for comfort and security other than Jesus Christ. So often our emotional and and physical burdens have a spiritual root cause. And as, as Galatians 1 point or 6 verse 1 points out, these things can sneak up on us. You can be going along living your Christian life and serving the Lord. And before you know it, you're ensnared. You are caught up and ensnared by this kind of a temptation. And maybe it, it rises up from within due to a desire of your flesh and the, the remaining corruption of the sin that we have within us. Or maybe it's because the enemy has targeted you and is bringing a temptation before you and you're giving into that temptation And so it isn't unusual for believers who can be believers for many, many, many years to find themselves in a season of habitual sin that centers on a a temptation that comes from within or from the enemy. All of us are susceptible to this. None of us are immune from this. I appreciate the fact that the scriptures do not give us rose-colored glasses to look at the world through. It's very real and realistic. And the scriptures tell us this, is, this happens, right? You go to, to the book of James, he tells us we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. He's just talking about one aspect of our life here, our tongue. And, and, and what he's saying is we are all susceptible to, to saying things that are hurtful and harmful or untrue or you know, scandalous or slanderous. or We all sin with our tongue. And the guy who doesn't, man, he's a perfect man. In other words, it doesn't happen. <laughs> we all sin with our tongue in one way or another. The apostle John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Spiritual burdens and spiritual struggles, these things, church, are so common that we need spiritual friends who come alongside of us at that moment and they point us back to Jesus Christ. These great, these burdens, these great burdens, they are often, often sin burdens. And yet I confess, I, I struggle to share those burdens with other people. It's hard, isn't it? To be transparent and to be authentic and to confess our sin struggles to one another Our temptation is to to keep it quiet or to only reveal maybe a slight aspect of 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 the struggle and the sin and not go the full depth to it because we don't want to look bad. Our struggles, though, with sin, they are not meant to be experienced alone. The scriptures make this clear. We need trusted brothers and sisters in our Christ and in our life who are walking along with us where we can share that sin struggle with and we receive comfort and assistance and strength through that relationship. How do you do that? How do you develop it? Some of you are newer to our church I mean, you, you, you haven't even learned the songs yet that we sing. You're still trying to figure that out. How do you have relationships where that kind of thing can actually happen in your life? Maybe you're going through a, a struggle right now. Maybe God brought you to our church because it's finally time for you to get victory over whatever it is that's been holding you back in your spiritual life. So how do you get that kind of relationship? 
As important as Sunday morning is, this is not the venue where you develop those kinds of relationships. You can have relationships and you can begin to start friendships, but it is within smaller groups when we meet together that those relationships develop. And listen, it's not easy. It doesn't happen the first night. It may not even happen in the first year where you get comfortable enough with somebody to truly reveal the entire depth of what, you know, here's how it works. You get into a relationship with some people and over time you begin to reveal a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit. And as they prove themselves trustworthy to you, that you can really be honest and it's not going to come back on you, that that relationship begins to take off. And so you have to get committed to a group and it takes maybe a year, two years, or three years where you're, you finally, we're all different. Some of us, you know, some of you guys, you're like, Bleh! you know, it's right, it's out there immediately, the first meeting, right? Some of you have been in group for 10 years and people don't know your last name, right? So we're all, male, we're all built differently and it takes some time, but this is how it happens. The passage says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Ladies, apparently only men have this problem because it's him. No, it's it's obviously everyone. But you know, when we read that, some of you uh, might be tempted to say, aha, this does not apply to me because I am not the person who is spiritual enough to help that person be restored. I get a pass. I haven't been a Christian long enough. I don't know the Bible long enough or well enough. I don't have enough wisdom and insight. Listen, this passage is, uh, well, let me phrase it, phrase it a different way. This passage is not putting before you a baseline of spiritual maturity. The, the passage does not say, those of you who are spiritually mature and have an MDiv, help restore those in gentleness. No, not at all. The, the criteria is spirituality. Don't confuse spirituality with maturity. Any believer, even a new Christian, can fulfill the role of mutual accountability in a spiritual manner that leads to gospel restoration in someone else's life because all of us, from the newest Christian to the most experienced, wisest Christian in our church this morning, we all have the same spirit. So this is a spiritual exercise, not a maturity question. And we can all participate in it. What does it look like? We get a good picture of it in 1 Thessalonians chapter five. We urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be, what's the next word church? Patient with them all. What an important word, right? What an important word. Church, sin can sneak up on all of us. It can delude us. It can defeat us when we least expect it. Do you know, I have been a Christian long enough to see this happen in my life. I remember as a younger man seeing things, something happen in our church, in the life of a, of a man in our church who was a, a pastor in our church and the way he conducted and, and spoke and did different things. And something happened in that church. And I remember thinking as a younger man, I will never ever do that. That is horrible. How can a Christian ever respond and react that way? I've been a Christian long enough to now eat my words, okay? I've been a Christian long enough to eat those words and find myself captured in the same way, acting out and behaving in the exact same manner, 
And then all that sin and guilt and shame and recrimination and all the stuff that can be poured down on us when we fail and how the enemy steps in and accuses. Man, it's a mess. And that's why we need Christian brothers and sisters in Christ in our lives speaking truth to us. A group with a healthy inward focus where members are devoted to one another in a group where authenticity and transparency are the norm, and that kind of group, this becomes the seedbed for mutual accountability. When authenticity and transparency, again, values of our church are permeating that group, it's easier for mutual accountability to take place. Why? <clears throat> because it's a safe harbor. It's a place where Christians can receive grace and encouragement rather than condemnation. You don't receive condoning. We'll see that in a moment, right? But you don't receive condemnation. There's a difference. You get grace and encouragement and the aroma of the gospel pervades that group so that all are welcomed and encouraged to be real with one another. He says to restore with a spirit of gentleness, gently. This is, this is a medical term. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. Um, there's different kinds of doctors, for example, who work, uh, orthopedic doctors who work on bones, right? You, you have, the, you have the, 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 the orthopedic doctors in, a, say, a triage unit at a battlefield, right? And there's a battle, and there's all of these, these soldiers that have been wounded, and, and limbs are broken and shattered, and they bring the one in, and it's like, next and it's like an assembly line and it's it's rough and it's tough and it's painful and you can hear the screams of the soldiers but he's got to get it done quickly set splinted onto germany to the medical base next right that's one kind of doctor working on broken bones then there's like Dr. Weldon, right? Those of us who have or, or, or your family doctor, and your child falls off the skateboard, and you know, it's like, how many of your children have broken that bone right there, or one of those bones, right? Most of us, we've had a child break that bone, and it hurts, and they take it in, right? And in your family doctor, it's for this way, if he doesn't do this, do this, he won't be your family doctor for long, right? He looks at that, and he's very calm. And he's collected and he talks softly and he encourages your little child. And he said, now this may sting a little bit. This will hurt a little bit. Let me give you some medicine. And then, you know, oh, oh, okay, we're done. Now let me count. And he's gentle, right? Now let me ask you a question. If you have a broken bone, which doctor do you want? Bam. Or, okay, it's going to be all right. Let's look at this. Which one do you want? Yeah, I know the one I want. I want the gentle one, right? And that's what he's getting at here. You know, you can tell a lot about a person and their own spiritual walk. The legalist, the judgmental fleshly person, they're this doctor over here when they approach sin and accountability. Someone's not gentle with you and encouraging you. You don't have the right person in your life. You don't have the right person there. So how do you know? How do you know when it's time that inward focus to come to someone in a matter of mutual accountability. Well, obviously, sometimes people come to you, but not always. Sometimes we're blind to our own stuff, aren't we? Our own sin, our own, our own junk. We don't see it in ourselves. And so how do you know when it's time or whether you should or not? This is where the upward focus is so important. This is why the upward has to be a part of our group. 
groups anchored in the Word of God have an objective standard by which to, to study and then apply to any given situation. We have an objective standard. We have God's Word. And God, so, so we reject a secular humanistic approach. You know, I see this happening. I think what's going on here is, and what you need to think about doing is blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter what I think. Opinions are a dime and a dozen, and most of them are pretty lousy, right? You know, mutual accountability and restoring someone gently is not a matter of, well, I think it's a matter of, hey, have you considered what's happening? What, what does the scripture say about this? Do you know what the Bible says? Let's look at the Bible together. Let's, let's read this. How does this line up with what we're going through right now? Totally different perspective. Scriptural loyalty. We appeal to the authority of scripture, not ourselves. And we certainly don't appeal to the authority of Dr. Phil or something like that, okay? We appeal to the authority of scripture. Groups committed to mutual accountability and loving support quickly discover the blessings of biblical community. And mutual accountability, the first part of this, it thrives in groups that are devoted to one another and anchored in God's word. Let's move on. Let's jump to this phrase, loving support. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Loving support flourishes in groups that worship and serve together to meet the needs of group members. Serving. It's a step in our ministry pathway, right? The first way that we serve and the easiest way that we serve in our church is to be involved in a group because you get to know people and you begin to help meet one another's needs. Why do we stress this so much? Because when we turn to God for help and for support in a situation that we're facing, more often than not, God gives us his loving support through another believer. You see this even in the, in the life of someone like the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So here's the Apostle Paul experiencing a difficult trial and tribulation, a burden that was weighing him down so much so that apparently he was even afraid for his life. And in his appeals to God for support and comfort, how does God answer it? He sends Titus, another believer, to help him. It's amazing how this often works out for us, that God sends someone else to serve us for his intended purposes to comfort and support and give us the assistance we need. Verse two alludes to this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What law? It's that law that Jesus gave us in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Serving one another like this, loving as Christ loved. How did he love? He sacrificed himself. For the good of us, his brothers and sisters. He was willing to lay down his life and he did so. So that we could have victory over sin and be reconciled to God. It was unconditional, committed love. 
love one another like this. Now, that kind of love, it has the, that inward focus, and it also has an outward application to it. This is one of the pleasures of being the pastor here at church, at Covenant Churches, as I've seen our church embrace this commandment from our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's transformed us from a congregation to a church family. And there is a difference between a congregation and a church family. I like pastoring church families, okay? And I've seen it so many ways. Just in the last couple of years, I, I just, this took me like 60 seconds to put this together because it's so common. And those of you who are new to our church, this is so common in our church. I didn't have to think about this. And, and if, I'm, if I'm tooting my horn or our horn, I'm not tooting our horn because we're so great. I'm tooting the horn because God has transformed our church and he gets the glory for this. Okay, but like you just take sickness. When people get sick in our church, here's the things that I see happen all the time. People in the group rally and bring meals. They go over and help clean the house. Groups have banded together and helped pay medical bills because there wasn't enough financial abilities. Transportation back into the doctor. Just going over to the house and hanging out and living company and fellowship because it's boring when you're sick and all by yourself day after day after day. I've seen people in our church give nurse assistance and come in and do some of the chores that normally, you know, people are paid to do. Prayer, laying on of hands, uh, taking the Lord's Supper, visitation at the hospital, even before pastoral staff can get there, uh, taking care of the extended family. Like when parents are involved in something and one child needs all their attention, what happens to the other kids? And that's where our groups have stepped in. That's just sickness. How about situations? These are just, again, off the top of my head, situations where I have seen our church regularly be the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ to one another offering this loving, unconditional support. Here you go, unemployment, death of a loved one, a diagnosis of a horrible disease, all the phases of dating and marriage, right? Um, estrangement from a child, estrangement from a grandchild, uh, battling an addiction, the birth of a child and everything that is involved with before, during, and after the birth of children. Career troubles, career successes, homes being destroyed, car accidents, the most horrible kinds of abuse you can imagine. Moving from one home to another, which is its own form of torture and abuse. <laughs> I hate loading trucks, but anyway, we do it. Financial mismanagement, dementia in the person or in the person's loved one. And then all the celebrations of life that occur. Aren't the celebrations of life richer when you have family to celebrate with? And aren't they better? This all happens in our groups, that inward focus. But listen, because of that rich, biblically oriented inward focus, there's an incredible outward application that happens because Jesus follows on with this command to love one another like this. And he says, and by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. This kind of loving support is incredibly attractive to those who don't know Jesus Christ. They may not believe anything at all yet about the gospel, but the fruit of the gospel, like this kind of fruit that we're talking about, there is something, that aroma is so attractive, it's so needed in our world today, and people are drawn to it, they don't understand it, but they want it. And so that's why I wanna put before us a challenge this morning. 
We do a wonderful job loving and supporting one another. We've seen a few examples through the years, and I would love to see many more examples where groups open themselves up to people in the community or in the neighborhood or at work and invited those people into their groups, even though they weren't Christians. And some of you are already saying, but, 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 but they'll blow up what we have in our chemistry. No, they bring a dynamic to your group where you see the power of the gospel on full display. And you allow them to, and you invite them to come into, you don't change anything. You still study the Bible. You still pray. Everybody loves to be prayed for. Even the atheist, just in case he's wrong, wants to be prayed for, right? And you invite them into the life of your group. And when they bring up something that maybe is completely off the wall, you don't, you're not the Bible answer man. You don't smack it down. You just let the love and the support and the, the environment of that group and the consistent talking and teaching of God's word. And the Holy Spirit will take care of all those questions that person has. You don't have to win the day or win the argument. You just love them and let them see us lovingly supporting one another. It's a powerful, powerful witness. We'll see this when we get to the book of Acts, how God used this very same thing in the early church. In this, passage, in this passage's context, we wanna be true to the context here and the passage before us. The, the support, the loving support, the serving of one another in this passage is primarily living out the gospel with one another and helping one another in our pursuit of holiness together. When you look at this, when it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This word burden here, at the very least, is talking about those unexpected times when we are deluded by sin and we're caught up in it and we're deceived in some way, we recognize, don't we? That Christ is transforming us into his image, yet there's going to be times, maybe it's sin, it's a temptation to turn from the gospel to some kind of false idol, maybe it's the temptation to rely upon ourselves and to try to relate to God through our own self-righteousness and our own sense of power and sensibility. When these temptations come along with, to us, there's oftentimes moral and spiritual failures that occur. And as I mentioned a moment ago, when that happens, right on the heels, you can guarantee right on the heels of that, you'll be overwhelmed with guilt and sometimes shame and self-recrimination and remorse, hopefully, that's the worst. What's even worse is denial, right? <laughs> That's even worse than shame and guilt is denial. And so these things are gonna happen in our lives. And at the very least, this passage is speaking about those moments. But I do think that the word here has even broader meaning. It certainly has broader application. We have other burdens, times that things happen in our lives, trials and tribulations and it's not sin-rooted, but man, it can just devastate our lives. And certainly, in times of trial and tribulation, we are more susceptible to, to temptations to sin, right? All of these types of opportunities, the scriptures tell us, carry each other's burdens. What does that mean? It means that 
In that special case, that special instance, we enter into one another's lives. We walk together with each other with absolute loyalty and endurance until there is resolution to this issue. Until there's resolution. Okay? And those are the burdens that we carry. Now, it seems like there's a contradiction. Verse five says, for each will have to bear his own burden or load. It's not. Let, let me give you an example of what this looks like in real life. Let's go back to, oh, let's say a, a family. A, a, maybe it's a single parent. Maybe it's just a, a husband and wife, father and mother. And they have multiple children. And one of them has a, a, a time of intense illness or sickness. And all of their energy has to go to helping this child through this emergency that they have. Meanwhile, they have two or three other children that still have to be fed and bathed and gotten to school and picked up and brought home and taken to piano lessons and, and you know football instead of soccer and all that kind of stuff, right? All that has to take place. And so along comes their small group. And they step into their life and they walk with them through that season of life to make sure that those children are being taken care of and they're helping carry that burden that they're under. But listen, they don't become those kids' parents. The mom and dad have to carry their own load. Their load is to still be those children's parents. Group members can't be their parents. Group members come alongside the parents to help them due to a special situation. This is what it looks like to carry one another's burdens. Is it easy? No, absolutely not as hard. Is it inconvenient? Yep, absolutely. There'll be times when someone's struggling, especially if it's addiction, and they may need to call you at 11 o'clock at night, one o'clock in the morning. I know a man in our church, and one of the things I love about him is sometimes he has shown up to church just absolutely bleary-eyed on Sunday morning, and the reason why it's because all of Saturday night, he's up with an addict and he's a recovering addict. And he's committed to helping those that he's sponsoring and helping and, and he needed to be up with them all night long to help them get through that season of intense temptation to return to the drink or to the drug. And he sleeps through my sermons and you know what? That's perfectly okay. <laughs> because he's been living this out and I love it. But there are dangers here too. It's inconvenient and it's dangerous there's pitfalls that we have to be aware of, right? There's the, there's the subtlety of sin. When we're involved in mutual accountability, there is the possibility that we ourselves get involved. And this is one of the reasons why we, we say, you know, unmarried men and unmarried women, for example, don't need to be mutual accountability partners. Okay, and maybe with your husband and wife, but not with someone other than of the opposite sex that isn't your spouse, no. There's too much temptation that can happen there in sin. You know, the, the, the one who is a recovering alcoholic who has gotten a sense of victory over this malady as they enter into other people's lives to help them and hold them accountable. That man or woman, they can't go down into the bars on a regular basis and start meeting people in order to help them. There's too much temptation there. It's not wise. There's the subtlety of sin. The passage warns against the corruption in our own hearts. When he says, Take a, test your own work, look at yourself. In other words, we have to check our own motives. We always have to remember that, but by the grace of God, there will go I. The only reason why we can come along and give spiritual assistance is because somebody came to us and Jesus is at work in our lives, redeeming us and restoring us. It's not us. And so when we get involved in someone's lives, we're to continually check our own motives 
Am I engaged in this with this person for the glory of God and for the good of this person? Or is it possible that I'm doing this for some kind of fleshly self-validation? It happens. There's all kinds of pitfalls. There's the allure of judgmentalness. When people bring their sin to us, it's very easy, like, you know, the 20-something Jerry Clem to say, oh, I, I can't see, I would never do It's easy to do that, right? The judgmentalism there. We always have to be careful. That's why the word, by the way, is mutual accountability. It's hard to be judgmental of somebody when you start with your own junk and you put your own junk out there. When you put your own junk out there, it's awfully hard to respond to someone else's junk with condemnation and judgmentalism when you are in such need of grace and gentleness and forgiveness yourself. That's why it's mutual accountability. Well, with all that being said, if you wanna know how do I support this person? What if this actually happens? Uh, you know, this is where that upward focus, again, is so important. The most important way that we support one another lovingly and help them carry their burdens, because most burdens are at their core spiritual, spiritual, the most important way we help carry burdens has to also be what? Spiritual. Doesn't mean there won't be physical and other dimensions to it, but you can't skip the spiritual. And so at the very least, here's what it looks like, church. It starts by praying with the person consistently, praying for them, when you're with them and when you aren't with them. The Bible tells us in James chapter five, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and pray uh, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. John MacArthur writes that prayer is the most powerful weapon believers have in conquering sin and opposing Satan. And nothing helps a brother carry his burdens as much as prayer for him and with him. As we inwardly look at one another to help, don't forget the upward focus of prayer. Praying for them and with them. And then finally, most importantly, bringing our brothers and sisters back to the gospel and the life-changing power and transformation and grace that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he is the one who bore all of our worst burdens. He is the one who took on the burden of our sin on himself on Calvary's tree so that we could be forgiven and be reconciled to God. And if you've yet to have those sins forgiven, to have known that peace that comes through committing your life to Christ, I encourage you to do so today. Jesus has borne every sin of every one of his brothers and sisters that God has chosen even before time itself began. And because of this, when we go through these types of struggles, we point people back to the only person who can actually save them because we can't save them from whatever it is. He is the one who's already taken away the deepest burden of their sin and reconciled us all to God. He is the one who says, when I take away that yoke and burden that comes with sin, I put my yoke upon you and my yoke is light and it gives life. And so when we want to spiritually support one another, we take one another back to the gospel, to our Lord Jesus Christ, who's already borne every single one of our worst burdens. Lord Jesus, thank you for this. 
Thank you that you are our Savior, our God, our good brother, elder brother, who has gone before us and even now intercedes on our behalf at the right hand of God. Would you make us a church? Well, actually, let me stop there, Lord. Thank you for the work you've already done in our church, transforming us into a church that really does carry one another's burdens. And Lord, would you continue to humble us through the gospel to help us to see our own need of restoration and make us willing participants with you as you restore others. What you've already begun in our church, would you continue to multiply it? Would you multiply it exponentially so that through our love of one another, those who don't know you in Palm Bay come into our orbit and through coming into our orbit, they begin to see their own need for your loving forgiveness and grace. I ask this, Lord, for your glory and for their good. Use us in this way. Transform us into this kind of church, I would ask, for your glory and honor. Amen.